Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Godly wisdom will carry you and I through this life, or as Solomon has been calling it, life under the sun. It will carry us through life under the sun and onward into life over the sun. We will end up being successful in God's eyes. Remember, successful in God's eyes is not what it is in the eyes of the typical American. Success in God's eyes is being faithful as we pursue the wisdom of God in the decisions that we make on a daily basis. Solomon is teaching young up-and-comers in Ecclesiastes. Pastor Jim is breaking down what godly wisdom can do for us in this lifetime. What we do under the sun means what we accomplish before we die. Likewise, our actions here under the sun will directly affect what happens after we die. If we are frivolous with what God has given us, We aren't going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's hope that hearing that is our desire and our passion for service here in this life. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part one of his message entitled, Why It Is So Important to Have Godly Wisdom, part two. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse two. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. So the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, and in wisdom literature, there are essentially two ways to live. You either live like the wise or you live like the fool. So here's a simple question for you. Uh, Which do you want to be? Do you want to be the wise or do you want to be the fool? The Bible writer, which could be King Solomon, could be an autobiographer, we're really not sure, is teaching, as we've been saying, presumably much similar to the book of Proverbs, and we taught Proverbs from that perspective, that it was Solomon was teaching young emerging leaders, young men who were going to be leaders in what became his vast, vast kingdom. So he's teaching them. In fact, at the beginning of the book, if you recall, if you were with us, we said that he actually called himself the preacher. So he was preaching to them about wisdom and foolishness and particularly in the area of politics. Any of you notice any foolishness in politics? If you're not, you need to watch some TV, or maybe not. But while we're not going to talk about it largely from the political realm, we're going to talk about it more, and what are some of the principles that we can pull from God's Word in this section of Scripture for us and to apply in our daily lives? So, I want to start with a test. I want to build everybody's confidence to get us on the way to wisdom. Because if you were just like, oh, I'm a fool, I'm not going to like this one. Well, you're probably not going to like it anyway. But let me start things off with a nice test to make you feel better about yourself. Uh, Here's the test. Last week, the title of the message was, Why is it so important to have godly wisdom, part one? Any of you want to venture a guess what the title of today's message is? Ooh, this is a smart group. This is a smart group. Why is it so important to have godly wisdom, part two? Now, we said last week that many Bible scholars think that the end of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10 is the hardest to outline 
in, in all of the book of Ecclesiastes because in some sense it's kind of disconnected, it's kind of disjointed, much like the Proverbs are. Proverbs are virtually impossible to outline except for the first nine chapters. And so the, the preacher, the teacher, the, the Bible writer seems to be talking in circles. Now I don't know about you, but I find that somewhat helpful. Did you ever talk to someone about God? Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, glad you're here. Hope to get an opportunity to meet you after the service. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, right, did you ever try to talk to someone about the Lord, about the Lord Jesus Christ? And as you're talking, you realize you're actually confusing yourself. (laughs) They're looking at you and they have this blank stare on their face and you're like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Or did you ever sit in church Not this church, another church. Did you ever sit in church and look at the pastor going, what is he talking about? (laughs) Like, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. And I know that happens here because sometimes I'm talking and I'm like, what am I talking about, God? I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to God at the same time. And the devil's talking to me going, this makes no sense. I'm like, I know, shut up. And so (laughs) we're trying to figure out what's going on. And that's sort of kind of what's going on here in some people's minds in Ecclesiastes. But one of the problems, not a problem, but one of the realities of Ecclesiastes, one of the realities of the Bible is, let's say Ecclesiastes written, if it's Solomon's time, 3,000 years ago. Let's say that the the Gospels written 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years after Solomon, but in Jesus' time. The expressions that people use are simply much different. I mean, there's various kinds of technology that we talk about if we're older that young people just don't know. Pac-Man, asteroids, a compact presario, (laughs) right? A car phone. It's just all kinds of things. I remember my parents saying, we used to go to the movie for 11 cents. 11 cents. How in the world did they produce $200 million movies at 11 cents a head? I don't know how that worked. But see, there's just so many different expressions, right, that people had back then that we don't have right now that are just very, very different. Last week we said, if, if I was going to do all of last week and this week, which I wanted to do in one sermon, it would be a five-point outline. Do you remember that? I said, normally I try to stick to three points or two points or one point or no point, but it was five points, And so we only got through point one. Did you have your coffee? We're going to do the other four points today. So last week was only one point, and the point was godly wisdom helps you see. We looked at the end of chapter 9 as as there was a small city that was under attack, and one fellow stepped forward, a poor, wise man. Remember we said that in America, a lot of people do not associate being poor and being wise in the same sentence because they think that if you're poor, uh, you're, you're not wise. By the way, being poor is not a sin. Not a sin. You look throughout the Bible, it doesn't talk about being poor as a sin. What's a sin? We'll talk about in a little bit. Being lazy, that's a sin. Being bad with money, that's a sin. And so this poor wise man, the city's under attack, a man of godly wisdom, saw what others didn't. He came up with a plan, presumably that he got from God, and he saved the city. And then did they make him somebody important in the city? No, he was forgotten. 
We talked about godly wisdom or divine wisdom helping us in beating the odds. They, the, the odds were against the city. How could they beat this big army? But this wisdom did it. We talked about the godly wisdom helping us beat our attitudes, the attitudes of others. They forgot him. And the attitudes of ourselves, angry when people don't remember us, when people forget us, when people don't recognize our contributions. And then ultimately we ended up with how wisdom will help us to beat death. In other words, what we talked about last week was that godly wisdom will carry you and I through this life, or as Solomon has been calling it, life under the sun. It will carry us through life under the sun and onward into life over the sun. We will end up being successful in God's eyes. Remember, successful in God's eyes is not what it is in the eyes of the typical American. Success in God's eyes is being faithful as we pursue the wisdom of God in the decisions that we make on a daily basis. So that was point number one. You got that? That was point number one, which point number two today is point number one. You got that? I'm confused. I don't even know. So if you're, forget about point number one. That was last week. So point number one today, which is point number two. You got that? No, you don't. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. I told you preachers are confusing and they get confused themselves. Point number one, if you're taking notes for today, godly wisdom helps you survive. Godly wisdom helps you survive. Look at chapter 10, verse one. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. Curious, quick show of hands. How many of you have that on your dashboard? You're driving to work and that's what you're thinking of every day. Put it in your husband's lunchbox, right? Hand it to your boss. Like, hey, you need to think about this. On your refrigerator? I know, it's on your alarm clock. Not exactly one of the ones. It's not on your happy calendar, that I know, because you've all given me so many happy calendars that I'll be happy for the rest of my life because I like to make fun of those calendars. And I've not found that on one of those happy calendars you gave me. Now, somebody's going to go home and doctor one of those up. I know that's probably what's coming next. So here we go. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. Our expression is what? One rotten apple spoils the bunch, spoils the bushel, Okay. And he says, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. If you're a Christian, you know what that's like if you've been a Christian for any length of time. You do one little dumb thing and all the people who don't believe in Jesus Christ want to throw your faith under the bus. They just want to throw it away. They want to discard it because it seems like that dead little fly has come into the beautiful perfume, the beautiful ointment, and has spoiled it. So what's he doing here? He's given us a word picture. He's given these young future leaders a word picture of an expensive perfumer making perfume or ointment in their kitchen, in their business, wherever they are. And perfume, the expensive perfume, I believe, is wisdom and it smells sweet. Ah, that's great. But then the person making the perfume decides to turn his back on the perfume, decides to turn his, uh, you know, to go to lunch or to, oh, I'll just finish it tomorrow. And a few small flies smell it and they think, oh, that smells really good. Let's go swimming. And so they decide just to dive into the perfume, okay? Uh, they dive into the ointment and they die. And the perfume starts to stink, and the Bible writer says that's what a little bit of foolishness is like. And he wants us to really, I think, we, this would be different for us, but he wants them to stop and smell the foolishness. You know what it smells like, guys, he's telling them. Kind of like us, if, we, if you had some friends over and maybe they brought some really good seafood, you know? You like seafood? How many like seafood? 
How many of you are on the seafood diet? You see food and you eat it, okay? So you like the seafood and, and all, you, you, you throw it out in the garbage and then you go away for the weekend. And what did you forget to put out at the street? The seafood, right? And a little bit of just that garbage makes the whole house completely smell. Now, if you have teenagers, like, didn't you smell that? No. Okay, but that's a different story. But so a little bit, it just takes a little bit to make the whole house Smell. Stop and smell the foolishness. Verse 2. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. That is not a statement of the right and the left of politics, okay? And that's just saying a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. That's our verse, okay? And the idea here is that the, the fool's heart and the wise man's heart are complete opposites. Now, generally in the Word of God, you've heard the expression probably the right hand of God. And usually the right hand stands for righteousness and honor and authority and blessing. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. It also has to do with the strength of God, the the right hand strength of God. Could be where the expression came from when somebody says to somebody, I'll beat you left-handed, right? Now, please, if you're left-handed, no need to raise your hand. We're not picking on you. We're just teaching the Bible, man, okay? So, and so here he's just telling us this, that the wise man, okay, the, the, the wise woman, okay, their heart leads them in the right way. Their heart keeps them on the right path. While the fool is actually going completely in the opposite direction, they're going the wrong way. They're eventually going to end off, you know, sort of off the side of the road, maybe down into a cliff as they fall off the path. But friends, notice this and notice this very carefully. He doesn't say it's their decisions that lead them off. He says that it's his heart. It's his heart that leads him astray. Now, in America, we think of the heart as, oh, heart. You know, it's our feelings and stuff like that. And it is that, but it's much more. In the Bible, the heart often has to do with um, our desires. It has to do with our affections. That's why we say we need to set our affections on the Lord. It has to do with our motivations. What what motivates you is what is in your heart. And of course, it does have to do with our feelings. And he tells us here that the wise man's heart leans towards God, his wisdom, his ways. Verse 3, even when a fool walks along the way, and that could simply be a Christian sitting in church. It could be anybody who's mixing with people who are wise, okay, Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. What do we say? You can see a fool coming from a mile away, right? And then he gives us a practical example, which is not really a great example for all of us. You know why? Because it puts virtually all of us in the fool category, because we all kind of do this at some point in time. He says, verse 4, if the spirit, another version says, the anger of the ruler... Maybe not your ruler, but think about your boss. Think about someone who's leading you. Someone you just think, well, they're doing it the wrong way. They don't know what they're doing. He says, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. God put you there. Don't leave. Even if it seems like the person is against you. Don't leave. Don't quit, he says, for conciliation. Another version says calmness pacifies great offenses. So here the Bible writer is very, very blunt. A little bit of foolishness, a bad decision. We'll see more about that in the the verses to come. A few bad decisions can cause a lot of problems, 
even for wise people, even for wise people. He's pleading with these guys saying, listen, keep your heart on the path of wisdom, that we all are going to need wisdom to survive. We're all going to need wisdom to thrive. And the application here is tough. He says, when things get tough, avoid your tendency to walk away. Avoid your tendency to quit. Avoid your tendency to abandon ship. And it's hard what he says, what happens when we do that. He says, when you do that, you show everyone else that you're a fool. You show everyone else that maybe, and I hate to say, that you don't have what it takes. We all know that making rash and foolish decisions show us and show other people that we're fools. But here he's saying the same is true if, you want, if you're that person that's constantly arguing with your boss, constantly interrupting meetings, constantly being difficult. Solomon says here, you can harm yourself that way. For them, what would it be? He's saying, if you turn your back, if you just get angry, if you don't like the way things are, and I have sent you on a diplomatic mission, do you realize you could turn your back, walk out the door, and a war could start? And that happens in marriages all the time, right? It happens in churches all the time. It happens in all kinds of institutions all the time where people don't keep their cool. What happens to us in the workplace? Well, we get fired sometimes. Or maybe we just quit. And then we call our boss up and say, hey, you know, I'd like to come back. I'd like to, I'd like to you know, really have my job back. I spoke out of turn. And if you've always been that person all along, the boss says, you know what? We've already figured out how we're going to get along without you. That's no need. That's what you wanted. I have, I have witnesses, people will say. And so here the, the Lord through, through the Bible writer says, when you get in those situations, when you're angry with the leadership, when you want to quit, okay, be wise. Keep your heart bent towards God. Stay calm because it will help you survive. Number two, godly wisdom helps you succeed helps you succeed. Now you can picture the young emerging leaders going, but, but you don't understand, but my boss, but my parents, but my whatever. He says, verse five, there is an evil I have seen under the sun. He's saying, this is, this is wrong. I've seen this on planet earth as an error proceeding from the ruler. He's saying, this is a mistake I've seen plenty of kings make. This is a mistake I've seen plenty of bosses make, plenty of CEOs, plenty of executives make, plenty of leaders make. Now, let's look at what leaders are. Some, are. some are selfish, right? Some are completely incompetent. On the other hand, some are doing the work of 10 people, so they're just, they miss stuff here and there. But he says, here's, here's just the way it is. Verse 6, folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. Now, he's using rich here in terms of those who are wise. He's saying sometimes in the world, this is the way it goes. The fool is the leader while the wise person is doing the work. That's just the way it goes. Verse 7, I have seen servants on horses. A horse is a picture of royalty. So he's saying, I've seen people who shouldn't be royalty. He's not picking on servants. He's saying, I've seen people who should have been royalty riding around like they were royalty, okay, while princes walk on the ground like servants. So what's he doing? He's giving us illustrations saying, listen, this world is upside down. And sometimes the wrong people, oftentimes the wrong people are put in charge. You've seen this at work. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason who's the boss. 
There's just no rhyme or reason who gets the promotion. What should it be like in the church? These are the people who we should be promoting in the church. Those are who are humble and those who are hungry. They're humble enough to know that they don't know everything, but they're hungry enough to seek to know what they need to know. Sometimes a lot of you guys are saying to me, well, I, you know, I just can't believe that you, you know, get up there and you just, you know, a couple of verses. Sometimes you do those one-verse sermons and you, you talk for 50 minutes, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, four and a half days. And they're like, you don't know, you get all this stuff, right? It's a hunger. It's a hunger. Some of you guys, hungry, humble and hungry, ready, ready to lead in the kingdom of God. Now, some people say, well, what about gifting? Gifting is very, very important. You have to have gifting to do certain types of things. If public speaking is not your thing, then probably you're not going to be a public speaker. You know, if, if math is not your thing, you're probably not going to be the, the, the bookkeeping uh, or you're disorganized, probably not going to be the administrator. But we all have gifts. We all have talents. God's given to them. We've got to help one another discover them. But people have to be humble in the church, and they have to be hungry to move ahead in the things of God. Now, for those of you who own a business, for those of you who are the bosses where you work, I'm going to give you a tip right here that's going to save you a lot of time, and it's going to save you a lot of heartache, okay? Gifted people who are unreliable are functionally incompetent. Did you hear that? Gifted people who are unreliable are functionally incompetent. You say, what do you mean? Gifted people who aren't there aren't getting the job done. And so people have to not only be gifted, they have to be incompetent, they have to be reliable. Now, in rare cases, Solomon would say here, you, you fight or you leave. But in most cases, he's telling us, you examine your own hearts, you press on in service to the Lord. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was surrounded by fools. If, if Jesus walked into this place, no offense to any of us, we would be like he's surrounded by fools, right? Everybody was so foolish compared to Jesus. But yet, he pressed on. And if you and I press on, doesn't mean you can't change your job, doesn't mean you're not a free moral agent in certain areas, but we have to just take a step back and see, is the Lord using this situation to grow us? Is the Lord using this situation to mature us? And if he is, and if we stick with it, in God's eyes, we will be a success under the sun. Verse 80 gives us some more illustrations. He's like, listen, if you think God doesn't know that there's fools in the world, if you think that little things can't grow into something big, if you're not careful, he says, you know, I can prove it. Verse eight, cultural things, a lot of it not that meaning to us. Verse eight, he who digs a pit will fall into it. It's like the guy who, you know, it's like Gilligan's Island, man. He goes out and digs a hole and puts a thing over it, and then he falls into it when he's running away, right? And he's like, oh, my bad. You know, like, how did you dug the hole yesterday? Well, you know, I forgot. I fell into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Some of your versions say bitten by a snake. So it, usually walls were for property markers, and you, maybe you had to move one. And if you're not careful, he said, if you're, if you're not wise, you'll be taken down that, that fence to move the property, and all of a sudden a snake will pop out at you. You know what that's like, gardeners, right? You know what it's like? And, and just all of a sudden like, ah, snake, right? And he's saying, be very, very careful, okay? Verse 9, uh, he who quarries stones, 
I told the last service, you have to bear with me on this stuff. You know, I'm studying the Bible. I know it's making me crazy, and you bear with me every week, so I'm so thankful for that. But when I think of quarrying stones, I just think of Fred Flintstone, you know, and Barney Rubble, what a great actor he was, and so all the, the stuff like that. So he who quarries stones may be hurt by them, okay? So listen, if you're not careful, you're working with this big stones, you know, you could fall on your foot, it could fall on your head, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it, and people have gotten hurt doing that. You, have, you could have, you know, have a tree fall on you. He's saying anything can happen, be careful, right? And even people who seem like they know what they're doing sometimes do foolish things. But he's not saying be overly worried and be anxious. That's not what he's saying. This is what we are to be as Christians. We are to be careful, we are to be wise, and we are to trust God. We are to leave here today and to get in our cars, put on our seatbelts, drive responsibly, and trust God. That's the way God wants his people to live. You have been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we are overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you would like to pass this message on to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Changed by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it is common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all of our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord here in the book of Ecclesiastes, one verse at a time. We here at Changed by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today.